Okay, good morning, everyone. Bill Lester here, and welcome to today's virtual plant clinic. As always, if you have any lawn and garden type questions you'd like to ask, please put them in the chat box right below the little box where you're seeing me live in the video, whether you're uh, joining us from Facebook through Facebook Live or YouTube through YouTube Live. Um, like I said, go ahead and post your comments, your questions. If you have a problem plant and you have a picture of it, if you'd like to email it to me really quick, it's wlester at ufl.edu, and I'll keep checking my email here. And if anybody does send a picture, I can go ahead and show it on the screen so that we can all see what the problem is and try to figure out what is wrong together. I'll give it my very best shot. I'm all by myself today all alone you guys just have me today lily had another uh meeting that she had to attend we don't have a special guest for today so it's just me and you facebook user is on here i still think facebook user is rita i'm not really positive about that and brenda's on here good morning brenda how are you so i'm not completely alone i guess yeah we have a couple people on here watching Good morning, Jacqueline. How are you? Um, if anybody else wants to say good morning. And something that I was thinking about yesterday, kind of curious about, I know that we have a lot of regular viewers who join us every Thursday from different parts of Florida. So even though I'm with Hernando County Extension and Lily is with the Hernando County Utilities Department, I know that because of the the miracle of technology. We have people from all over the state joining us. So if you're from somewhere outside of Hernando County, go ahead and type in and um, put in a comment in the comments where you're coming from. So it kind of gives us a better idea of where everybody's at. Because as always, if you ask a question, it really helps if you also mention where you are. Because if you ask me about growing bananas, and you live in Miami, that's very different than growing bananas here in Hernando County, and very different from growing bananas up in the Panhandle also. So we have somebody from Broward County. I knew that we had a number of people from Broward County when I started getting all the coconut palm questions, and I'm thinking, nobody in Hernando County grows coconuts. Well, I mean, you might try, and you might you know, get by for a while, but you know, eventually they're gonna freeze, so Teresa is on here this morning. Good morning, Teresa. How are you? It's just you and me and the other 15 or so people watching. Okay, gosh, everybody's popping on here. Homosassa Springs. That's great. I've been there. I visited the springs before. They're definitely beautiful. Um, Seminole County. I used to live in Seminole County years ago. We lived in right between Sanford and Lake Mary. And then we lived in Volusia County for many years, and now I'm over in Hernando. Uh, Santa Fe in Bradford County, that's kind of out in the country. I have driven through Bradford County. I don't, maybe we stopped at a gas station passing through. That's kind of um, about it. And here's a good question. What date is good for beginning pruning? If you want to begin pruning things, and this is for Gainesville, thank you for telling me where you're at, because that is really going to vary a lot, all depending on where in Florida you live. So in Gainesville, I would guess that you'd be able to prune everything back when you think that we're not going to get any more serious freezes and frosts. And I can't really give you a definite date when that's going to occur. Here in Hernando County, the average last frost date is February 20-something. So near the end of February, in 50% of the years, we don't have any more frosts, but in 50% of the years, we do. And I've seen major frosts and freezes when I lived over in Seminole County as late as April 1st, I think. So for people who started pruning everything early and it got warm and all your, your roses and hibiscus and all your hedges are starting to grow, and we get a really late frost or freeze, that could be really, really bad for your plants. Sometimes if your plant thinks spring has arrived and is actively growing and gets a really, really bad freeze, it could actually kill the plant.
But as a general rule in Gainesville, you should be safe by some point during March. So anywhere between March 1st and the end of March, you can start pruning everything back. The reason why you don't want to start pruning things back too early is because like, for example, right now it's the middle of January in Hernando County. If we start pruning back the frozen firebush and hibiscus and maybe some tender hedge bushes, maybe your gardenias and some other things got a little bit of freeze damage, you prune them back. Now, all that dead brown foliage is helping to protect the rest of the plant, the interior part, for in case we get another bad freeze. And sometimes we do get late freezes, other times we don't. But I think that um, definitely by the end of March, you're totally safe up there in Gainesville to start pruning things back. And Sandra is here with Hernando County Mosquito Control. Good morning, Sandra. I haven't talked to you in forever. Sandra Fisher is the, um, uh, the boss, the leader with Hernando County Mosquito Control, who we work with quite a bit. Like to keep people informed of how to avoid mosquitoes on their property. Um, like to remind people that if you do have mosquitoes, if you contact Hernando County Mosquito Control, they're more than happy to come out and look at your property and try to figure out why you have mosquitoes. If you call them and you think they're just going to send the truck to drive up and down the street and spray and that's going to solve your problems, that usually don't, doesn't solve the problems. Because a lot of times if you're breeding mosquitoes on your property because you might have buckets of water or little puddles of water or even the trays that sit underneath your flower pots that hold a little bit of water, you're breeding mosquitoes. And until you fix that, you're really never going to get rid of your mosquito problems. So Hernando County Mosquito Control is there to help. Gosh, we have people from Don Ellen. We have... Terry from Lake County. We got people from all over the state here. Oh, and it's just Karen. She's under Sandra's account or something, I guess. <laughs> and Facebook user in Gainesville, you're very welcome. Like I said, it's really hard to give a definite um, specific date. Like, you know, as of this date, it is safe to prune all your plants back because of the cold, because it does vary so much. And I think what gets confusing for a lot of people is they'll move to Florida, and then we have a couple of fairly warm winters in a row. We might get a few frosts and freezes during the middle of winter, but people start thinking like, oh, well, that wasn't that bad. I only got a few leaves that turned brown, a little bit of damage on my bananas and this and that. So... I must be safe to just plant tropical fruit on my property and trim everything back whenever I want to, and I'm not going to suffer any damage. And then every couple of years, we'll get a really bad cold front. I know here in Hernando County and in Brooksville, Lily can tell you because Lily's lived in the county for many, many years. She could tell you about winters many years ago where it got down into the teens and caused a lot of damage. You could even get queen palm trees frozen and killed completely if it gets cold enough. And people don't really understand that until one of those winters comes along and all of a sudden you wake up one morning and everything in your yard is completely brown. And then you have to go through the time and work and expense of having to remove plants and replace plants, which can be, you know, kind of heartbreaking for a lot of people. Also, gets very expensive having to replace plants. So we're here to help and to help you figure out what kind of plants are going to grow well in your yard. Ideally, without a lot of fuss and maintenance and trouble, I never cover anything in my yard. And I even have bananas and my bananas look really, really bad right now. I probably should have covered them when it got down to the 20s right after Christmas. But I just don't want to go to the time and trouble and do it. I figure everything in my yard is going to have to kind of get by on its own without too much help from me. And we're more than happy to, you know, help suggest plants that are going to do well for you without taking a whole lot of um, time and energy and expert. And Bob in Seminole County says, I've gotten accustomed to regularly cutting back my fire bushes every spring. 
even now that they rarely have had cold damage, is this still a good practice or will they still perform the same without renewal? That is a really good question because anybody who's familiar with fire bushes and I have what was a very, very large one in my backyard, it is in a spot where the vegetable garden is kind of going in. So I'm going to have to move it. So I did cut it back quite a bit, preparing to have to dig it up and move it to another spot. Fire bushes are Florida natives. They're great plants. They get small tubular red flowers and butterflies love them. Um, hummingbirds love them. I never saw a hummingbird in my yard until I had a fire bush. So if you like hummingbirds, put in a lot of fire bush plants. But what will happen to them is if we have a warm winter, they'll suffer either no damage at all or maybe a tiny bit. Some of the ends of the branches will get a little bit frozen back. And you can leave them alone. You don't have to prune them. But if you don't prune them the following year, they will grow a lot and you will end up with, I've seen fire bushes like 10 feet tall. So if your fire bush is in a spot where it has that much room to grow without getting in the way of your front door or sidewalk or posing a danger to people, that's fine. If we have a couple of warm winters, you can actually get it that large. What happens during a cold winter is they can suffer a lot of freeze damage. Mine right now is nothing but brown leaves and brown branches. But the nice thing about fire bushes is you can cut them back severely. You can cut them back to knee high or even ankle high. And very quickly, starting in March, you're going to see new growth on them. The new growth comes in very quickly. And by as early as April or May, they're flowering again. And they'll keep flowering all summer long, all throughout the fall until next winter when we get another freeze. So, Bob, you can cut them back if you need to maintain them to a certain size. But if they're out in the middle of your backyard and you have plenty of room for them to grow, if they don't get freeze damaged and you don't prune them, they'll do just fine also. It's just they get really, really large. And I think the best way to deal with like a firebush, a hibiscus, oleander, a lot of your flowering um, perennials and flowering shrubs is to try to cut them back just once a year because what that does is you cut them back severely, get them smaller than the size that you want them to be ideally during the summer, get all the dead growth cleared out, the dead branches, and then just let them go. They'll start to grow back pretty quickly during the spring and then they'll start to flower and they'll continue to flower a lot all during the spring, during the summer, during the fall. The problem people have is if you have a landscaper or if you try to keep these bushes as a hedge, because I've seen people with azaleas as an actual hedge, if you keep pruning them and every month you have your service trim, trim, trim a little bit off, what you do is you're always removing the flower buds at the tips. And then you're calling us up and asking, how come my hibiscus, it seems like it never flowers. How come my azaleas never flower in the spring? How come my firebush never flowers as much as I want it to? It's because you're pruning it too much. So pruning it ideally once a year, get it back short or shorter than you want it to go, and planting it in a place where you have plenty of room for it to grow and spread, and then let it go for the rest of the year. It's a lot less time, a lot less work, a lot less out there on a really, really hot Saturday afternoon in the middle of July and August pruning. So I think that's the best way to go. I'm kind of a lazy gardener. So anything that's going to save me a little time and effort is a, a, a definitely a good idea. So here's the phone number for Hernando County Mosquito Control. If you guys have any mosquito questions or problems here in Hernando County, if you live anywhere else in Florida, Every county in Florida has a mosquito control department. So if you ever have any questions or issues with mosquitoes in your county, whether it's Seminole County, Broward, or wherever you, Lake County, wherever you might live, call your county's mosquito control and they're more than happy to help out. Yeah, Brenda. Brenda says, my fire bushes look very sad, froze for sure. 
we'll wait until spring to prune. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to let it be until at least the beginning of March. Then, like I said, I have to prune it back, prune it back really, really, not to the ground, but basically about ankle high. And then I have to dig mine up and move it. But a nice thing about fire bushes is they tend to be very, very durable plants. You could dig them up and transplant them and move them somewhere else. If they get frozen back, you can cut them back to just about ground level. If you have to, to remove all that dead uh, foliage. And nine times out of 10, they come right back. They're, I'm not going to say indestructible because I'm sure if you um, treat them badly enough, they will, you know, pass away, but they're pretty close to being indestructible. Another really good choice for an indestructible type plant is crepe myrtles. If you put a crepe myrtle in a spot where it gets comfortable and settled in and starts to grow, they're going to be with you for a very, very long time. So, so Bob with his fire bush says, thanks. Size is also a consideration. So I'll probably keep up with the annual pruning. Yes, at least annual pruning is good. But if you try to keep it just to annual pruning, just once a year, it's really going to help with flowering. And that's the main reason why people buy and put in plants like a hibiscus, like a firebush, like a gardenia, azaleas, because they want those flowers, whether they flower for a short period of time or for a very, very long period of time. And the less you prune them and the more you leave them alone, the better they're going to flower. So Facebook user asks, I'm aware oleanders are poisonous, so I'm careful when pruning. Are there other popular plants that we prune that are also poisonous? That's a good question. Oleanders are poisonous. So you obviously don't want to eat them. You need to be very careful if you have pets, uh, dogs, or maybe even cats that you might have out in the yard. You don't want to allow them to chew on the plants. You want to be careful and wear gloves and wash your hands afterwards if you're pruning them or dealing with them. Something people don't think about a whole lot, if you live out in the country and you're in the habit of burning brush when you go through and prune everything in your yard and tree branches and this net, you really don't want to burn the oleander brush or trimmings either because that smoke can be toxic and you don't want the wind to change and you get a nice big breath of it. You also don't want to do the same thing with poison ivy. And I learned that when I was a little kid in the Boy Scouts, that poison ivy smoke can be very dangerous and you don't want to burn it and breathe it in. So a couple little common sense pointers that maybe people don't think about a whole lot. Oleanders are probably the most common poisonous plant that you're going to have in your landscape. There really aren't any others that I can think of off the top of my head. If anybody else can think of any or Teresa, if you want to chime in with any other ideas of what, Things might be poisonous in your yard. Heavenly bamboo, if you're familiar with it, it's a um, ornamental plant that's very common in landscapes. It used to be very common in landscaping packages. So when they built a new house, the landscaping that they the builder will put in as a part of construction, they're very commonly used. The berries on those are poisonous to dogs and probably children also. So you always want to be careful with any plant that's going to get some kind of brightly colored berry because that kind of gets the attention of your children and possibly your pets also. So another question here from Sharon um, about working used coffee grounds in your garden. Yes or no? That's a definite yes. Coffee grounds are very beneficial. They are going to break down very quickly in your soil. Technically they're acidic, but you would have to add huge amounts of coffee grounds into your soil to really throw your soil pH off. And for people whose soil pH is naturally a little bit high and with what you're trying to grow, you need that pH to be a little bit lower. Coffee grounds, compost, organic matter can help because it all tends to be a little acidic and it's a natural way to 
naturally lower that soil pH a little bit. It doesn't lower it a lot, but sure, coffee grounds are great either in a compost pile or in your compost bin or just worked into the soil. So Deborah Sue asks, can you discuss what food plants can be planted about this time of year? That is a big question because that includes a lot of different things. <clears throat> we are just about to go during a season change. Right now is the middle of January. It's still winter. It's potentially going to be very cold for at least another month or maybe as long as two months. So if you want to plant anything like in your vegetable garden, it's a warm season crop. You need to wait a little bit in Central Florida before you put it in. Because if you run outside and start putting your tomato and pepper transplants in and planting beans and watermelons and squash right now, if we get another freeze and frost, which we probably will, they're going to freeze and die. But you need to start planning for those things and starting your tomato and pepper plants, transplants inside right now so that when the mid, early to mid-March comes, you have them. And they're all nice, big, healthy transplants. Even if you have really big transplants, if you can see my hands here, that are already a foot tall in a one-gallon pot, that's absolutely fine to transplant in your garden. If you're thinking about adding some type of fruit tree to your garden or your yard, right now is a fine time of year to go out and buy one and plant it as long as it's not too tropical. So what I mean by that is if you want to go get a loquat tree, a citrus tree, a peach plum or nectarine tree that's well suited for your area because there's certain varieties that do well in central Florida, other varieties are going to do well in South Florida. For people who are up in the Panhandle, there's totally different varieties of peaches, plums, and nectarines that are going to grow best up there. You can put them in right now, and that's absolutely fine. If you live in Central Florida, and you're like me, and you want to add a mango tree or potentially experiment with some tropical fruit in your yard this year, you want to be patient and wait a little bit longer until the freezes and frosts are over and get that tree and put it in in early spring so it has plenty of time this summer to get well settled and grow and kind of used to growing in your yard, have it grow a little bit taller, and then you're gonna have to watch the weather next winter. And if we're gonna get a really bad freeze, you need to protect it, cover it, do something to keep it from freezing, and in which case you can do really well with it. So, Hopefully that covers just kind of the general basics. If you have any specific questions about is it safe to plant this or that or whatever it might be in this county or that county, go ahead and feel free to ask. Um, Brenda asks about vegetable garden seeds now or should you wait? All depends on what you're growing. If you want to try to sneak in some fast growing cool season crops, you still can, but you're going to need to hurry if you want to still squeeze in some lettuce or radishes or green leafy vegetables, something like spinach or kale. You can squeeze it in now, but you need to get it in soon because before you know it, it's going to be late February, early March. It's going to get warm. If we have an early spring, all those cool season crops you hopefully have in your garden now or you squeeze in really, really soon are gonna decline very very quickly because when it warms up in march those cold season crops crash and burn basically very quickly the lettuce is going to bolt and go to seed your kale might still grow and look okay but it's not going to taste very good collards mustard greens all those things if you still want some more of them this winter you need to squeeze them in gosh this weekend if you can't go out there and get them in but any of those warm season crops, the things that might freeze, you want to be patient and wait until late February here in Central Florida, Fernando County, at the earliest to put them in. Unless you have a really good way of keeping them warm, there are things like low tunnels, high tunnels, frost cloth, things like that, that you 
can, if you're feeling lucky, you could put them out now really early, but we get another frost. You're going to have to keep them safe and keep them warm. Deborah Sue asked about angel trumpets. They're pretty frost sensitive. They can and do freeze if it gets really, really cold. And this being middle of January, I'd wait until late February to put a new angel trumpet in uh, the landscape. If you find a really good looking one now or a good deal on one and you buy it in a large enough pot, you could just keep it in a pot for right now. Keep it outside if the weather's nice. If it gets really cold, you can move a pot into your garage or inside in your laundry room and the back porch to keep it warm. So you could do that. But I'd wait until late February to actually put it in the ground just to be safe. So Facebook user says philodendrons are poisonous. Okay, that's a very good point. You want to keep an eye on philodendrons also. And I would assume that most adults, most adult gardeners who are watching right now are not going to be out there chewing on plants in their backyard. You really want to be very careful if you have a dog or possibly a cat that you let, you know, out in your backyard and for children also to keep an eye on those plants and keep them safe for them also. And of course, yes, angel trumpets are poisonous. They are especially poisonous because I know, and I have not heard of any reports of this happening for a long time, but in years gone by, young people would harvest angel trumpets, flowers, and seeds and make a tea out of it. And apparently it will get you on the one hand high as a kite. It will also generally make you very, very sick also. And people who do that, usually your evening is going to end up with a trip to the emergency room. So today's word of warning is don't make tea out of the angel trumpets and don't allow anybody else to do so. But angel trumpets technically are poisonous. If you plant them, in your yard and stay away from them and don't chew on them or make tea out of them, you're fine. You're going to be safe. Um, and Susan asks, is this live today? Yes, we are live here. We are live on our Facebook page. We are live on our Facebook group also. And we are live on YouTube live. And let me go ahead and make mention now, let me get over here. We finally made it through all the technical issues and we have turned this weekly virtual plant clinic into a podcast also. So if you're interested in just listening to any past episodes, or if you missed the very beginning of this episode later on today, it will be up on our podcast page. So if you go to anchor, dot fm forward slash william dash j dash lester that is our brand new podcast page and we're going to put a couple of older segments on and then starting today all the future segments are all going to be up there on a podcast page so see we're growing and expanding and moving forward here and while i'm here if you're ever interested in checking out any of our other classes or finding out all the login information for next week's virtual plant clinic, or you want to find information on what kind of classes that either I have coming up or Lily has coming up in the near future. If you go to Hernando extension, all one word.com, we have a full listing of all of our upcoming classes. And if it's on zoom, you have the, uh, the link and the login registration or registration information. If it's here on Facebook, you have a link. If it's on YouTube, there's a link. No matter where it is, we have all the information that you're going to need to be able to log on and watch that. And if you still have questions about that or you're not really sure what link do I click on or what time is it, you can contact our office. There is our phone number, 352-754-4433. And if you call the office, you will probably get a hold of Teresa. 
normally, and she's more than happy to help you figure out exactly what time the class is and how to get logged on and all the information you need to be able to get on and check out all of our upcoming classes. So Susan has a question here. Susan is one of our Master Gardener volunteers, and she has a rosemary Christmas tree in her kitchen. She bought a Publix. Yes, that's become very popular, a popular holiday plant. And what it is is a small rosemary bush. And that's the same kind of rosemary that you use in Italian cooking. It's the herb that you can use in uh, Italian recipes. And what they do is they grow a little rosemary plant and they prune it up to make it in the shape of a little Christmas tree. And she says, it is getting a frost over the spiky leaves. Is that fungus? I was hoping to cook with it. If you're able to email me pictures of that sometime, that'd be great. Or if you're able to bring a sample into the office, because rosemaries can get a few pest problems, it can get a few disease problems, but normally rosemary plants, as a general rule, are very hardy. Rosemary will actually grow into an evergreen bush. So if you have a healthy rosemary plant and you grow it in the right spot and take good care of it, you can have that rosemary plant for many, many years and have it continue to grow. You can continue picking off of it uh, and cook with it. It's not a very fast growing and then you have to replace it kind of plant. So a frost over the spiky leaves might just be a little bit of discoloration or there may actually be something on the leaves. Um, if you're able to bring a sample by the office, we can look it under the microscope and figure out pretty quickly exactly what that is. And let me take just a break here and see if anybody has emailed me any pictures and no, they haven't. So we don't have it. I do have a picture to show in just a moment here of a tree question I got the other day. But um, Karen is in Dunellen, which is just a little bit north of here, but it is still north of here, so they're going to get a little bit colder. Um, she has a grapefruit tree, and it produced fruit one year. I did not fertilize, but nothing this year. With citrus, as a general rule, citrus has serious problems here in Florida because of a disease called citrus greening. So if your tree gets citrus greening, there's nothing you could do to get rid of it. Uh, there's really nothing you do to save it. What was, is going to happen is your tree is going to decline over a period of usually a couple years. You're going to stop getting fruit from it. It's going to look sicker and sicker. The leaves are going to turn yellow. They're going to drop off, and the tree is eventually going to pass away. If your grapefruit tree does not have citrus greening, that's great. But what you it's very important with citrus trees that you fertilize them on a regular basis with a quality citrus fertilizer. And when I say quality, that generally means the more expensive stuff. If you get the really cheap fertilizer, it may not have all the micronutrients in it that your citrus tree needs because two common plants in your landscape that are really fussy with micronutrients are number one, citrus and number two, palm trees. And if they don't get the micronutrients they need, they're not going to be really healthy. They're not going to look really good. They're going to start to have problems long term. So you probably need to get a good citrus fertilizer and fertilize it lightly a couple times between spring, which is going to be for you. You can start March 1st, March 15th and do the last fertilizing in the fall. I would guess late September would be a good time. But you can fertilize a citrus tree very, very lightly as often as once a month. So if you put on your calendar for the first of each month, go out there and fertilize a grapefruit tree. The grapefruit tree is going to have all the micronutrients and nutrients it needs. It should grow 
healthy and well. If it has citrus greening, that's a whole different situation. There's nothing you or I or anybody can do about that. Um, but that's going to give you the best chance of it flowering and fruiting again. I assume that since it did produce one year, that it is large enough and old enough to do so. So regular fertilizing during the warm part of the year is going to help it flower and fruit and hopefully get fruit to hang on and mature. Citrus trees, gosh, we could, we can, and I probably need to do another citrus class. We could talk for an hour with all the ins and outs and little issues and problems the citrus trees have. Citrus is funny because it has a whole bunch of insect pests that are named after it, like um, uh, citrus blackfly, citrus mealybug, citrus this and that. So it has a whole bunch of insect pests that are unique just to citrus. So yeah, citrus can have a lot of issues. But I think motivating it to flower and fruit again, regular fertilizing is very important to it. And here's a very easy question from Russ, Thompson seedless grapes. Sorry, Russ, I'm not sure where in Florida you live, but here in Florida, Thompson seedless grapes and the other um, European wine grapes do not grow. I take that back. They do grow. They'll grow just great. The weather here is great for them. And they even tried growing those types of wine grapes here in Florida before, but they get a disease that is spread by a very, very tiny um, insect. It's a plant hopper. And uh, this disease will kill Thompson seedless grapes and a lot of those other great to eat European wine grapes. Muscadine grapes are totally immune to this disease. That's why we can grow muscadine grapes here, but not Thompson seedless grapes. Now they've been working, University of Florida has been working for a number of years to make crosses between the two. So crossing Thompson seedless grape, which is a very tasty seedless grape with muscadine grapes, which a lot of people don't like the taste of them. They have a thick skin and they all have seeds trying to cross the two of them so that we end up with a tasty seedless grape that's not going to get the disease. So there are some hybrid grapes that are disease resistant. But if you buy Thompson seedless grapes through a catalog or gosh, even worse, I've seen them for sale at big box stores and a few other places here. If you plant them, they're going to die. They're going to die a fairly quick death because they just don't grow here in Florida because of that disease. And it is called Pierce's disease. And it's a bacterial disease that this little insect will spread to your Thompson seedless grape plant and it plugs up the xylem, which is the water conducting tissue inside of the grape plant. And what happens is the leaves all turn brown and completely dried out. It looks like you forgot to water your plant for like two months. And what be that's because the, the water conducting tissue is plugged up with this bacteria and the entire plant dies very quickly. So I was asked to remind all Hernando County residents, and this is just for people who live in Hernando County, we have a tire amnesty day this coming Saturday from nine to three at the Hernando County Fairgrounds. So this is a great day if you have any unwanted tires, unlimited quantity. So if you have 20 tires in your backyard, and you just haven't been able to figure out what the heck to do with them, take them to the Hernando County Fairgrounds this coming Saturday from 9 to 3, and you can drop them off for no fee. But they will not take the rims, so it has to be just the tire removed from the rims, and you can drop them off at the fairgrounds. And the reason why um, Hernando County Mosquito Control does this every year is because if you have a tire or if there's a tire in an empty lot next door or um, in a piece of property that you own, what happens is it rains, water gets inside the tire, and now you are breeding lots and lots of mosquitoes. So old used tires laying around are very, very bad for mosquito control.
you generally end up with lots of biting mosquitoes, and nobody wants that. And here's a comment from Bassam that rosemary under the right conditions can live for 33 years. I'm not really positive about the exact time for that. And Bob says he has a rosemary that's about 12 years old and still growing strong. I've seen rosemary bushes that were at least waist high and very, very full. It looked like an evergreen bush. So they do live for a number of years. Something people don't think about with anything they have growing in their landscape, everything does have a time limit and a life expectancy on it. So for your hedge bushes and landscape material, as a general rule, it's anywhere from 10 to 20 years, all depending on the exact plant and what conditions it's growing under. So if you live in a homeowners association, here's a little tip or trick for today. If you want to put more edible plants in your yard, but you have to maintain plants that look good for your HOA and for your neighbors out in your front yard. If you have decorative grass like African iris or muley grass, which is a good plant to have because muley grass is a native. If you put uh, lemongrass out there, lemongrass is a very attractive decorative grass and it's edible also. If you have some evergreen bushes in your front flower bed and you go ahead and pull one of them up and you put a rosemary bush in instead, now you have an edible plant out in your front flower bed. And you know what? Your neighbors will never know. It, to them and anybody driving by, it's gonna look like an evergreen bush, but you can go out there when you're making Italian food for dinner or you're trying to make rosemary bread and actually pick it and make use of it. So that's a little hint, trying to replace decorative plants that maybe you don't care that much about. You're not getting any, you know, because if you have a holly bush or a viburnum or a ligustrum, you know, you can't eat a ligustrum. Why not try to be creative and replace it with something that you are getting a little bit more out of? So here's a pick, here's a question. When do I fertilize palms? Belinda, that's a really good question. And of course, that all depends on exactly where you live. Here in Hernando County, you can start fertilizing them for the spring, beginning of March. If you live south of here, you can start a little bit earlier. If you live north of here in Gainesville, Jacksonville, up in the Panhandle, it's going to be a little bit later than that. So fertilizing palms are just like fertilizing citrus. You need to get a quality palm fertilizer. And you could go ahead and fertilize it as often as once a month, but you want to fertilize it very lightly. And what that does is it makes sure that your palm tree always has enough nutrients. So as your palm tree is growing over the, the spring, the summer, or fall, during the good growing season, it's never short of nutrients. It always has all the potassium and magnesium and manganese and boron and all those things that it needs in small amounts. It's always going to have them. So fertilizing it lightly once a month during the growing season. Here in Hernando County, that would be March 1st until maybe October 1st at the latest is a really good idea and should work really, really well. So let me go in here. And since we're talking about Susan's uh, rosemary, she did email me a picture. So let's see if I can go ahead and share that picture. Let's see. Okay, you guys should be able to see this reasonably well. And here's some pictures of her rosemary bush. That's a good looking rosemary. Um, it looks very healthy, looks very dense, and it looks like it does have a little whitish covering or powder on some of the leaves. And that could be a lot of different things. That could be just something from the plant. Oh, here's a more of a close-up picture. 
from the picture, and I can't say for sure, but that looks like you have a touch, at least, of a fungus on it. So I would have to look at that for sure under a microscope. But if I put it under a microscope, after 10 seconds, I could tell very, very easily if it's a fungus. And rosemary and a lot of other herb plants can occasionally get fungal problems, not very often, because they are very hardy and they don't generally have too many problems. But um, it might be from too much humidity. So if your rosemary has been growing in a spot in your sunroom, on your back porch, or in a sunny spot inside, and it's just too humid right where it is, that might give it an outbreak of a fungal problem. So Susan, if you're able to get a sample by our office one of these days, we're more than happy to look at it and tell you if you have a fungus or not. You could prune it out all the little branches and leaves that have that, go ahead and prune them off and toss them and try to lower the humidity and hopefully the fungus will go away. Otherwise, you could spray with the fungicide. That's going to help protect the new growth coming out. You would still be able to eventually eat the uh, rosemary. You'd have to read the label directions very carefully to see how long you have to wait between spraying and when you could eat the rosemary. But that's probably not a terminal problem for rosemary. That's probably just a little problem. And if you wait and try to put it in a less humid spot, um, I don't know if you've been misting it. A lot of people will miss their house plants and things that are growing indoors. If you stop misting it and let the foliage dry out and stay really dry, there's a good chance it's going to go away on its own. Sometimes these fungal problems come up and are a problem for a while and then they go away pretty much on their own. Um, Bassem asks, can he graft the Italian grapes or like Thompson seedless grapes to the muscadines? I'm not really positive. You should be able to graft one type of grape to another type of grape. I'm not positive, but you should be able to I don't know how much disease resistance that would impart to the Italian grape or Thompson seedless or whatever type you're trying to graft onto the muscadine. My guess is that probably would not help because this disease pierces disease that uh, Italian grapes get here in Florida is transmitted by a small insect that feeds on the leaves and pokes into the leaves and sucks the juices out and injects the bacteria all at the same time. So um, if you contact our office, uh, and I'll show the phone number once again, or email me directly, we'll, we can look up. University of Florida has a lot of information on muscadines and the different hybrid grapes that they've developed. And I know there are researchers who work at our research center right over in Apopka, Florida, and they have um, a great big um, research center there. And they have literally fields of grapes growing out there that they work with to try to find things that are going to be disease resistant and give you a tasty grape. Because even though a lot of people like muscadine grapes, I like them. I even like the wine they make out of muscadine grapes. A lot of people don't like it. So they're always looking at developing new varieties. They're going to kind of have the, the disease resistance of muscadines and the, all the good points of the Thompson seedless and the uh, Italian wine grapes. <clears throat> so Carolyn asks, my lemon and guava trees were damaged during the last freeze we had. And all depending on where you live, that's understandable. It did get pretty cold in a lot of areas for a number of hours overnight. The guava looks bad. Just top of the lemon turned yellow. Will these come back? Should I trim the branches? There's a very, very good chance that they both will come back. So taking them separately, guava is going to get some freeze damage and you probably do have like brown leaves and frozen looking branches. Uh, you probably want to wait until some point in early to mid March. 
you can go back there and prune them back, remove all the brown frozen branches and leaves, and it should grow back just fine. Uh, with a lemon tree, you say the top of the lemon turned yellow. That could be from either cold or that could be from that disease I mentioned, citrus greening. So it's really hard to tell if the problem is just cold damage or citrus greening disease. If it's just cold damage, if you trim the dead and brown and affected branches out, the rest of the trees should come back and grow just fine. Remember I mentioned that citrus and lemons like to be fertilized with a quality citrus fertilizer uh, from spring, which is generally beginning of March through fall. So if you do that, your lemon should do just fine. If you have a problem with greening, that's a whole separate situation. It may have problems that you're not going to be able to fix and it's going to eventually decline and die. But most times, if your plants have just a little bit of freeze damage, if you prune it out in the fall, it's going to grow back. It's going to do just fine, depending on the plant. So Bob's giant air plant is seeding now. Any hints for propagation? I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't really know of anybody who's tried actually planting the seeds. But different types of air plants, uh, which this would include Spanish moss and ball moss and a number of other native air plants, all tillandsias, uh, just different species of tillandsia, are flowering plants. And if you look very closely, uh, during the year, you'll see ball moss, which is a little... It looks like Spanish moss, but it grows in a little round ball, and you might see it growing on the trunks of your trees or the branches. If you look closely, it gets a little spike and a little teeny tiny cluster of flowers on it. So they are flowering plants. They flower, they produce viable seed, and that's how they spread is through the seeds. Chances are for an air plant or any other plant, the flowers. If you let a flower, and keep watching and when that flower finishes up and dries up and starts to form whatever type of seed pod or capsule it's going to form if you trim it off and put it in a paper bag and keep it in a dry cool place so just in um you know a spare bedroom in your house in a paper bag uh that way you know it's going to help it's not going to trap the moisture and make it moldy paper bags can breathe so it's going to hopefully let that moisture out you can actually try eventually separating the seed from the rest, the spent flower part and the seed capsule and plant it. That's how air plants spread and reproduce and grow in the wild. They do grow and spread from seeds. So yeah, that'd be a really great um, experiment to try with your own. It should work very, very well. So Monica in Wikiwachi, she took a chance on a Bismarck palm. Bismarck palms are my favorite palms. They are beautiful. They get huge. They get huge leaves. And they're the ones that have the kind of unusual bluish gray coloring to them, which I think is very, very attractive. It's kind of unique. It really stands out in your yard. And if you've ever been to South Florida, down in the Miami homestead area, Oh my gosh, they have huge, beautiful Bismarck palms down here or down there. It's hard to get them that large here in Central Florida because they always get knocked back a little bit in the winter from the freezes because they are technically not completely freeze tolerant. I rarely see them die though in this area in Wikiwachi in Hernando County. If it gets really cold, you'll see especially young ones will lose a few leaves but I've never seen one end up like completely dead where it has to get removed. So Monica says hers got hit this time with the frost and we weren't in town to cover it. What can we do to save it? The middle looks good and has a new shoot. For a palm tree, that's very, very good because with any palm tree, how they're built is if you look at a palm tree, it has some type of stalk or trunk and at the very top, it has the area with the leaves coming out, which is called the crown. At the very top center of the crown is where the newest leaf 
is just going to poke out and start to emerge. It will get longer and poke out and eventually turn into a new leaf. Then another one comes out, another one comes out, and so on. With a palm tree, if anything happens to that top growing point, if you cut it out, if you get palmetto weevils and they chew it out, if you get a disease and it dies, or if you get a really, really bad freeze and that growing point completely freezes back and dies, the palm tree is a goner. Nothing you can do save it because it only has that one growing point. So it's not like you can chop off the top and you're going to get side shoots off your palm tree. Palm trees don't work like that. One growing point, if it completely dies, then dead palm. Now, after a freeze, a lot of times, the part of that new leaf that was just poking up and poking his head out and got exposed to the cold may have turned brown and died. But the rest of the leaf, if you give it a little time, is going to eventually push out and the rest of it is green because the growing point is still alive. Then in a month or two, you're going to get another leaf, another leaf, and your palm's going to recover and do fine. So palm trees, a lot of times, patience is your friend. If we get a bad freeze event, you have to be patient and let it sit for a little bit to see whether that new leaf is going to grow out and emerge. Even if it's halfway brown, the top part got frozen. If it comes out, followed by another one, and another one, and another one, everything will be fine. But if the growing point is totally, completely dead, your palm tree will let you know because it will decline, the other leaves will die, no new leaves will come out, and at some point, generally by March, April, maybe May at the very latest, you'll know for sure whether your palm has survived and is in the process of recovering or if it hasn't and it won't. So the same advice I gave earlier for uh, fertilizing palms goes for Bismarck palms also. Like I said, I'm going to get one one of these days because that's just one of my favorite palms. I think they look beautiful. And hopefully yours will recover and do well also. So gosh, you guys are all like drilling Dr. Bill here today, asking just a huge variety of questions, kind of keeping me on my toes here, which is great. So Karen asked about her potted poinsettia, when to plant it in the ground. Um, very good question. Poinsettias can be planted in the ground and grown in the landscape here in Central Florida. Obviously, if you live south of here, the same goes for you also. But much north of here, I'm not sure because it is, poinsettias can freeze and be killed by really cold weather. So obviously there's a point north of here where north of that you really can't grow poinsettias very easily. I would wait until March, end of March, to go ahead and put it in the ground. After that, there's a very good chance, hopefully all the freezes of frost are over and done with. You can put the poinsettia in the ground and little tip or trick number two for today, you guys get a bonus tip. With poinsettias, if you take a leftover holiday poinsettia, plant it in the ground, they grow best in a partly sunny location. So fairly sunny, but not 100% full sun, like in the center of your front yard with no, no shade or no cover. Um, you need to prune them back every month that begins with an A. So that would be April and August. So in April, you want to prune back any of the colored leaves or bracts or dead leaves or dead branches, anything that's left over from the holidays that looks dead or broken or damaged, you want to prune it back to all nice, healthy growth and then let it go. So during, well, that be May, June, July, it's going to grow, get bigger. In August, if it's getting kind of big and leggy and gangly, prune it back a little bit. Some of the, the gangly branches, uh, maybe you have some leaves that have been damaged from insects or whatever it might be. Prune it back a little bit to make it a little bit more compact. And after August, 
it's going to grow and hopefully get a little bit fuller. And after August is when it starts developing and thinking about flowering again, close to Christmas. Really hard to grow a poinsettia to make it flower on Christmas Day. It's going to flower anywhere. I've seen them from November through January or so. It's during the winter at some point. But even if you're growing them outdoors, they're going to flower and get the colored leaves because you know that the, the colored part, the red, the white, the pink, whatever, is the leaves, the, the bracts that are around the actual flower. It should flower again in the future and do so year after year. I've seen them do very well in the landscape. They have a few problems with mealybugs and spider mites during the summer. You may have to spray a few times with insecticidal soap for. You have to be careful to get it in the right spot, not too sunny, not too shady. But if you put it in a good spot, they don't take a whole lot of maintenance. Just prune them April and August, and you should be good to go. So Monica has a follow-up with that Bismarck palm. Um, yeah, it's her favorite also, definitely one of my favorites too. Is it okay to cut the outer lower leaves that definitely look dead? Yes, if you have leaves on your palm tree right now that are definitely completely dead, it's safe to prune them off right now. If you have a palm tree that starts to get a flower on it, like the big flower spike and then the big um, bract that goes around the flower spike, you're safe to prune that off whenever you want. What you want to leave on your palm is any leaves that are maybe half brown, half green, mostly brown, a little bit green, but ones that are just not totally brown yet. You need to let the leaves on your palms become totally brown before you prune them off because a palm tree takes all the nutrients from those dying bottom leaves and moves it up to that brand new spear leaf. The brand new little one I said was just poking off the very top. It moves all the nutrients up or a lot of the nutrients up to it, not all of them. Some of them are transported upwards, other ones aren't. Um, so very important that you don't want to be taking off green leaves off your palm tree because now you're starving it a little bit. And as it grows, it's not going to grow as well. The trunk is going to, when it gets starved, short, not too, a few months after you prune it really heavily. And you'll see this a lot with palm trees in common areas, maybe at a golf course, maybe alongside of the highway. When they go and prune all the leaves off and leave one or two sad little leaves up at the very top, the palm gets starved for nutrients. And as it grows a little bit, the trunk will shrink in. Then when it recovers, the trunk shrinks back out. So you end up with a palm tree with all these little, on the trunk over time, these shrunken in spots. And you don't want that on your palm tree. Because when it gets really windy, where do you think is the weak spot on your palm tree trunk? In the skinny spots. Where do you think your palm tree might snap? In the skinny spots. So that's the idea or botanical reason behind not cutting off palm tree leaves that are still green or not completely dead yet. So totally dead palm tree leaves, sure, you could take them off right now. You really don't have to wait until spring. If you do wait until spring, that's fine. Shouldn't be in a rush to go out there and prune them. Um, but green leaves or partly green leaves on the palm, definitely leave them on a little bit longer. So, oh my goodness, it's after 11 o'clock at this point um and susan says can you please post a link to the new podcast um i'm not sure if i can post a link to it or not if Teresa's is still on or posting she can post in the comments all depending on what page you are viewing on but i could show it to you here real quick so let me go back in here like I said, if you go to, is this going to be www.https anchor.fm because we have it on the free podcast site Anchor and it is going to, it's in the process of being listed on several other um, favorite podcast sites also. So anchor.fm slash William 
dash J dash Lester. That's me. So that's going to be the link to the new podcast site. And we're very excited about that. Um, if you need to contact our office, there's a phone number once again. If you need to contact myself, there's my email once again. If you guys have any other pictures, questions, comments, whatever it might be, feel free to go ahead and post it on the Facebook thread. I try to go back in later in the day and see if there's any more questions on there that I might have missed. Uh, feel free to you know email us your pictures and questions and comments. Um, let me check here one more time. Teresa said she did post the um, the link to it. And if you follow us on Facebook, we're going to really be promoting the new podcast because we're very, very excited about that, that we're able to take this weekly clinic and between putting it on YouTube and putting it on Facebook and putting it on a podcast, we can just get it to even more people. And you guys can all ask me all your hard questions, your easy questions. Uh, you can wait until I get a guest on here. We'll save the really hard questions for them. But it's, it's a really great way for us to kind of expand our reach. So thank you so much to everybody who tuned in today. We will be back here again next week, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Back here on whatever venue you may be watching us on, whether it's our Facebook page, our Facebook group, our YouTube live page. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. And we will see you again next week. Until then, take care. Try to stay warm. Brenda, you have a great day also. And we will see you again next week. Thanks again. Bye.